Blog Talk Radio.
Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Wisdom of Spirit. I'm your host, Rose Jimenez. I am a psychic medium and healer, and I'm here every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And this is where I offer a myriad of spiritual and metaphysical insights to help guide you and help you in your day-to-day living. Our topics include, and are not limited to, spirit messages and guidance, psychic and mediumship chats, alternative healing modalities. We have a monthly meditation, and that is on the first Thursday of each month. We also discuss chakras, gemstones, tarot, runes, other forms of divination, astrology, numerology, animal communication, and more. We have special guests from time to time as well. I invite you to join me or me and my guest, and as I said, Thursday at 7 p.m. For more information about me, please visit my website, which is readingswithrose.com, where you can uh, get some information about what psychics and mediums are all about and what healing is about. You can even book your own private one-on-one psychic reading, and I can accommodate you anywhere you are located in the world. I actually have clients across the globe. I have a client in China. I have a client in Norway, and I have a couple of clients in Italy, uh, as well as clients out in California. Wherever you are, I can read for you. My guest this evening is Jernika Nicole. And if you'd like more information about Janika, visit her website, which is Janika.com. Janika is a certified comedic yoga instructor. She is a certified Tantra and Reiki practitioner, life coach for teens and parents, and transformational events and travel specialists. Specialist. This lady is the female equivalent of a jack-of-all-trades, and she is amazing at everything she does. So, without further ado, let's welcome Dernika. Hi, Dernika, and welcome. Hi, thank you. You're welcome. It's so nice to have you on the show. Likewise, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me and having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um... I uh, I forgot something. I'm sorry. Hang on one second, Danica. I just want to discuss okay. a little bit what's going on because a lot of people think they're losing it. I actually had a client come to me the other day, and she said, please tell me it's not me. Um, there's a lot of energies bouncing around, and this is almost like a neon laser ray incoming directly through the heart chakra of all beings and it's affecting your lower and higher chakras at about the same time. uh, We've got frequency light upgrades coming in. I know there are some solar things going on. Uh, This electromagnetic radiation is causing very rapid DNA repair to all organic life on this planet. Heart flutterings, pains, feeling like the heart is skipping beats, sweating and fever are some of the symptoms. A lot of people are saying, or rather, they think they have the flu because it can exhibit in almost flu-like symptoms, but it's not the flu. 
it's an organic ascension, and we just got to try and get through this as best as possible. And the one thing to do is if your body, if your whole being is saying rest or I need a nap or I need a break, go with the flow. Do that and, and take care of yourself. This is a time now where you need, we all need to take care of ourselves as much as possible, focus on ourselves, and, you know, just heal ourselves and treat ourselves with as much kindness as we possibly can. Because there's a lot of stuff going on. It's going to continue to go on into the beginning of 2018. And then we'll get to that in 2018. <laughs> okay. Danica, you've had one wild journey and ride. Because I follow you. I may not always uh, comment, but I'm like, wow. And now she's doing this, and now she's doing that. You're amazing. So what started you on your journey? My journey started just from trying to seek out answers in my personal life as to why I was attracting the types of relationships I was attracting and why I felt depressed and anxiety-driven all the time. So um, I worked in corporate America for many, many years working in human resources. And um, when I was 29 years old, I landed, like, my first real HR job working for North Shore University Hospital. And I was, like, making lots of money and all this stuff. And it, it seemed like my life was grand and that I should be, like, on top of the world and extremely happy. But I was leaving work every day anxiety-driven. I was extremely depressed. Um, what I was projecting to people was pretty much a lie. You know, it wasn't what I felt inside. So in an effort to kind of seek answers as to why do I feel this way when my life is perfect and I have all the things I want, you know, I'm happy, my daughter's happy. Um, why do I feel miserable? And in that quest, it just slowly but short, surely um, led me away from the corporate structure and into um, being a healer and, and being able to help other people who are going through, who, who have similar experiences, helping them to heal as well. So um, I think initially it started with me seeking out a life coach, um, and, and this is after going to therapy also, going to therapy, seeking out a life coach, and once I started seeing a life coach was the first time that someone said to me, like, you know, you really should look into um, being a life coach yourself and, and, and see what types of healing modal, modal, modalities are out there that you should learn because, you, you know, you have something special, and that was in 2012, and ever since then, it's just been, like, moving forward. I've um, started off working with adults. I've shifted now to working with just teens and parents, and that's just um, something that evolved from me working with adults and then still feeling somewhat of a void. And I realized, I think it was in 2015, that I needed to get back to my core passion, which was children. And that stems back to, like, being a little three, four, five-year-old girl where people would ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say a pediatrician. So essentially a pediatrician is healing children. And that desire to be a pediatrician over the years, um, as I said, it, it turned into being a teacher. And then once I got to college with the elementary education major, um, just listening to my peers and being in influenced by society, I completely abandoned everything having to do with teaching and, and children and just chased after money. And so after I said, 
going through my career in human resources, you know, source universe brought me right back to my starting place, which was healing children. So the majority of the work that I do now is um, working in schools and after school programs um, and, and, helping parents to have better parenting experiences with their children and better relationships with their children and trying to help children um, move past some of the challenges that us adults are currently trying to deal with so that they don't have to become adults that are trying to figure it out. Like, let's figure it out now while you're a teen and, and, you know, try to teach them some skills and, and different philosophies that are going to help them navigate through life that they're not learning in school, that they're not learning at home because their parents never learned with hope that once they become adults and, and you know, they get in their 20s and 30s, they won't have to deal with a lot of the issues that I had to deal with as, uh, along with probably their parents and a lot of other um, adults. So that, that's Ori in a nutshell. <laughs> it's funny because as you're speaking, you know, it came to my mind a bonsai tree. Because they start pruning and trimming and shaping the bonsai trees when they're very young. And mm. as you that all the time, it's consistency, it's consistency. You wind up with a very beautiful miniature tree that is exquisite and basically it's a perfect mini tree. Now, if you try and do that with an already grown tree, because it's no longer in a place where it's pliable, where it will accept the change. So, right. you know, that that's where the work really has to start when they're yes. young. Mm-hmm. So that's great because, um, you know, years ago I read Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements, and it blew my mind and it changed my life, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. I love that book. Yeah, me too, and I, I recommend it to everybody. It's like he tells mm-hmm. you, you can't live somebody else's dream. Find your own dream and live that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't and that was pretty much perfect. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Here's <laughs> just what perfect advice that is to everybody. Mm-hmm. But but what you just said is was pretty much my, my story, where I wasn't following my dream. I was following the dream that society told me I was supposed to have. You know, I was following the blueprint that society or my parents or my peers, everyone else but me. (laughs) And it took, you know, many, many years before I was able to circle back around to myself and and say, you know, is this what you really want to do? Like, whose life are you living? Are you living your life or are you living the life that you were told you were supposed to live? And that's a big part of what I um, discuss with children and when I speak and when I'm doing my after-school programs, just really encouraging them to follow their passions. And, you know, there's no one size fits all. And, you know, we're all here for this American dream that we've been told exists, and we've been told that there's a specific path to attain that. But it's, it's false. You know, because we're all different right. beings, and that path is going to look very different from one person to the next. And we have a lot of people um, in this world who are trying to follow this path to the T, and it's not working for them because there isn't a one-size-fits-all. So I, I encourage children, adults, um, I, I mainly work with, like, middle school and high school age children because that age group is, is, is where they start to really start to step into who they're going to become long-term. But I I tell them, I tell adults, you know, live life for you because 
if you, you know, you, this is your life, you know, you have to wake every day in this body, you have to live with the choices that you make. And if you're not living for you, that's, that's really not living. Right. If you're not living, if you're not aligned with why you're here, why you were put on right. this earth, you're, you're out of alignment. And just like people go to a chiropractor to get an adjustment to get their spine in alignment, when you find what you're supposed to be doing, you feel so much better because you are spiritually, emotionally, mentally in alignment with your reason to be here. You're absolutely and right. And much and better. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, you said and what? No, I was going to say um, just to support what you just said, when I was working in corporate America, there was a point in my career when I was making about $150,000 a year. And, um, you know, that that was a lot of money for – I was like 30, 31, 32 years old. And now I'm, I'm 36, um, and I don't even make half of that. But I am so much more happier now than I was then because of the alignment. You know, um, the, the money money cannot buy happiness. You can make all the money in the world, but if you don't have that alignment, you're you're not going to be happy. You're not going to feel fulfilled. And that lack of fulfillment was why I was so anxiety driven and so depressed, even though I had all of the things that um, that I wanted. Those things can't compensate for the lack of alignment and, and, and not living in my true purpose in life. So once I started to do that, I had to make a lot of sacrifices and, and shift my entire lifestyle for me and my daughter, which, which was a huge adjustment. You know, it meant um, moving into a smaller home. It meant getting a smaller car. It, 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 it meant less vacations. It meant me having to say no sometimes when my daughter asked me for something. And those were all things that, you know, she wasn't used to and I wasn't used to. But at the end of the day, I was happier, which means she's also happier. And there's nothing, there's no amount of money in the world, there's no job, there's nothing that can, you know, that can replace that. Right, I agree. I mean, outside of money, I think we're all taught to worship money and that if you have money, everything is yours, you'll be fine, you'll be happy. Not really. Um, Exactly. To me, the most important (laughs) things in life, are peace of mind and happiness. And neither of those things can money buy. Right. So it's all about what you're doing, where you're coming from. Um, And it's funny because I have worked in law for 42 years. And when I got laid off in 2013, a colleague said to me, you have to get out there with your psychic abilities. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Because I was afraid, plus I had had a bad experience 10 years ago, because at that time I didn't know how to say no to people, I didn't know how to set boundaries, and he said to me, well, you have to work on your boundaries, but once you do that, get out there and do it. Well, I put it off and put it off and put it off, and Spirit had come and given me messages twice, you have to do it, and I'm like, no, 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 no. So I kept Mm. looking for a job in law, and every time I would go to look in that section, I'd hear, ah, 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 and I'm like, really? What do you want me to do? So one night at 3 in the morning, 
I felt two hands on my shoulders, turned me a 180, and the next thing I heard was, enough. And I knew what that meant because this cold shiver went up my spine, and I'm like, oh, spirits had it with me playing, you know, closet psychic or closet in the uh, psychic in the box. I only pop out when absolutely necessary. So I really was at a point where I had nothing to lose because I, I was not working. I couldn't find a job, and I really I had nothing to lose. So I started doing it, and six months, not even six months later, four months later, I'm driving home one day, and I'm really relaxed, and I'm like, I love what I'm doing. Granted, I wasn't making even half of what I was making in my prior job, in my day job, but I was making enough to pay my bills and do what I had to do, and Mm -hmm. uh, I was so happy. I felt so in the groove. I felt so aligned, so alive. I wouldn't trade this to anything now. If you said, hey, go back and and do the law. We'll pay you $100,000 a year. I'd say, no, I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, now what is comedic yoga exactly? So Kemet is the original name of what we know to be Egypt and Africa. And um, if you study, well, not if you, but there have been people who have studied the hieroglyphs on the walls of the pyramid and in the temples that exist in Egypt. And after some years of studies, it was concluded that a lot of what are, what's on those walls is, is a is a practice of yoga. So my teacher and his teacher, this goes all the way back to the 70s, they, they spent uh, about 10 to 20 years of their life studying um, ancient Egypt and developing an official practice of yoga based on the hieroglyphs on the walls and went so far as get it approved as an official yoga practice by the Yoga Alliance, which is pretty much the, um, you know, governing agency for yoga, (laughs) the world of yoga. And it is the only um, official comedic yoga practice that is acknowledged by the Yoga Alliance. But it is rooted in ancient Egyptian philosophy and a lot of the poses that we practice are poses that are identical to what is on the walls in these temples and pyramids in Egypt. Wow, who knew? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> most people that most people have that same reaction when when I explain it because you know, we usually associate yoga with India. Um but the origination and, and you know, the original home very much like many other things that we practice and that we know today originated in, in, in ancient Egypt. And, you know, people came to those places and, and took a lot of the practices, a lot of the philosophies, a lot of the ideologies, and they brought them back to parts of the world. But um, it, it's there. You know, you can't deny what's on those walls. You can't it's not there. It's pretty clear as day. And, and when I say this to people and they go on Google or they, you know, look some things up and they, they do the research, they're like, wow, like they really are doing a simple several um, with 
ask you to repeat the last couple of things you just said because you broke up. I'm sorry, my ear hit the speaker button. Is that better? Yeah. Yeah. So just recap what you just said, please. Oh, I'm sorry. I was saying that most people, when they have this conversation with them and they go back and they do some research, they Google, oh, no, I was past that, actually. I was saying that when you look at a simple pose like what we call the downward-facing dog, um, there are several depictions of that on the walls and the temples of the figures that they were drawing in that particular pose. In our practice, we call it the pyramid because when you look at someone in downward facing dogs, their body is in the shape of a pyramid. That's right. <laughs> so, um, this is one example of one of the poses um, and, and how that was translated into something that's more relatable. It looks like a pyramid, it's a pyramid. You know, and, and, and I don't know if that's what they called it back in ancient times when, you know, they were doing it when someone drew this on the walls, but that's what we call it in our practice. And there's several other walls that we've um, created a name for, and, and it's, a, you know, it's part of the practice. Everyone who's ever come to my class for the first time, you know, they, they leave feeling like, wow, I, I really did yoga for the first time. Um, you know, yoga has become very commercialized here in the United States, and it's um, about athleticism and what pose can you get in and how long can you hold it. And we sort of lost the, the true meaning of what yoga is, which is a form of meditation for the body. It's supposed to be slow. There's supposed to be deep breathing involved. You know, we're supposed to pay attention to our energy and how it's flowing through our body. And when we practice in kinetic yoga, that's the focus. The focus is breath. The focus is energy movement. The focus is really being in the present moment and feeling your body. Um, yes, we can get into nice, fun, fancy poses that look really cool, but that's not the focus. So it's really kind of bringing people back to what yoga is really supposed to represent and what it's supposed to mean, and also teaching from history. You know, like I said, I, I work mainly with, with children, and um, it it. It's a history lesson, you know, along with a, a, a wellness practice, and, and they love it. They love to kind of connect the dots. There's a, a pose called the Sphinx pose, and everyone is very familiar with the, with the Sphinx in ancient Egypt. They, know what, they, know, they um, know what it looks like. So when you get into that pose and you can visualize, like, wow, I know what that statue looks like. I've seen it in my history book or I've seen it, you know, on Google or wherever, and you're in that pose, and you, and you can really feel the energy of what that Sphinx represents in that moment. Um, so it's 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 great. I love it. That's oh, very interesting. Are you finding that a lot of people are gravitating toward the kinetic yoga? Um, yeah. I I, I think um, I, I'm a woman of color, and so naturally, having um, teaching a yoga practice that is rooted in ancient Egypt, people of color definitely gravitate towards it. I think what happens a lot of times is um, when people of color go to a yoga class, they a lot of times find themselves being the only one in the room, and, and, it, and it can make them feel uncomfortable. Um, it could make them feel like they don't belong. It's not intentional, but that's just, you know, how it happens. So when they see that there's a class, one, that's taught by a woman of color, and then two, that's rooted in a philosophy and history that is um, essentially 
and where they're from, naturally it excites them. And so they want to learn more. They want to come and practice. They're happy that they're not, you know, the only person of color in the room. And, and, and you know, they love it. I, and then on the flip side, I have lots of people who aren't people of color, um, people of color that also are just completely fascinated just by the practice and, and its, um, its history and how it was created and, and just um, sort of um, feeling a breath of fresh air to have a yoga practice that's not so focused on athleticism and that really is kind of bringing you back to the roots of what yoga is supposed to be and there's a deep appreciation for that. So, uh, I mean, I was only certified in July and um, as soon as I came back, I started teaching. Um, I think I started my first class in either August or September, but not one week has gone by when I've had no students in my class. Um, you know, there's always at least one person. Um, I think I have one week where there was one person that came, but there's always someone. You know, people are always um, just intrigued by it, and um, it's something that People have never heard of it. Um, there's other parts of the United States where it's more popular. But here in New York, I am only one of, I think, three comedic yoga instructors. So um, wow. it's definitely growing, and people people are, are catching on to it. So And, and we've opened up some actual comedic yoga studios in some other places in the United States. There's one in um, Texas. There's one in Las Vegas. There's one in Atlanta. So it's, it's, it's growing. It's, it's catching on. Cool. Is there any age restriction, or can you start really young? You can definitely start young. Um, my teacher, he he's based in Chicago, and he works with children as young as, like, four years old. So, you know, he's taught classes in preschools and kindergarten, first grade, and they love it. He's um, tailored the practice to kind, to kind of create a story for them, a story that they can follow along and you know, he changes some of the names of some of the poses to things that they can relate to and things that, you know, children get excited about just to keep their interest and to keep them wanting, you know, wanting to practice. So absolutely, I've had, um, for me, for my classes, children under the age of 13 are free because I want the children to learn. I want them to be interested. And I've had children as young as five years old come to the class. And there may be some poses that they're not able to do, but they definitely try. <laughs> and they're excited about trying and, and, you know, they really focus and they really want to mimic what you're doing and, and, you know, they get excited. So definitely no, no age restrictions. And, and even on the flip side, one of the women that I certified was in her 60s and she was amazing. I mean, she made me cry because I was just so inspired by her to be that age and to be you know, getting a certification and the practice is so flexible and it's for different age groups and different um, phases in your practice that anyone can do it. So her, you know, someone being older, she still could do it. And she's now at home where she lives teaching other people her age and, and, and they love it. Wow. That's great. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to go. I'm gonna, oh, I'm going to go where I shouldn't go, but I have to satisfy my curiosity. Is there okay. any, um, I don't know how I want to word this because I don't want to get myself in trouble. Uh, is there any <laughs> idea if comedic yoga came about about at the same time as the Indian yoga or does one come before the other? Or what's the deal on that? Well, I can only speak to what I was 
taught. <laughs> and, you know, this is, again, based on re- about um, 10 to 15 years of research that my teacher and, and his predecessor um, did. And when we just look at history and history books, um, for the most part, um, we're, we're taught that ancient Egypt was the origination of, of a lot of, of, of life. <laughs> And so if we're thinking, if, if we go with that concept that that's where life was originated, or I don't want to say life, but um, what's a better word? Um, some of the oldest um, records of life come from ancient Egypt. That's a better way to put it. <laughs> so when we look at it from that standpoint, if some of the oldest records of life come from ancient Egypt, and we're seeing this depiction of yoga in these temples and in these pyramids, one could only assume that that's where it started. Um, and, and I don't know that there's any, like, hardcore evidence to say, yes, that's where it started. But, again, when we look at history and we look at that being the place where the oldest records of life exist, one could make that assumption and feel pretty confident in it. <laughs> um, and And – that that's sort of where I'll leave it. <laughs> mm, yeah, because um, you know the lines are kind of blurred. It's really hard to say it's definitely this or it's definitely that. But uh, right. one thing I have noticed, and you have to really be careful with this in any kind of practice that you want to get into, I would say check out your teacher, uh, do a thorough mm-hmm. investigation. The research because a lot, and I'm seeing a lot of it on Instagram lately and I look at these people that are supposedly doing yoga and it looks like mm-hmm. they're doing gymnastics and it's like that's not yoga yeah. <laughs> right and that's what I was I don't know what they're turning I... it into but <laughs> well it's become very commercialized and westernized you know everything that gets to us on the west we kind of morph it into whatever we want to morph it into really because we're we're so uh, material driven we're driven by money we're we're driven by material things and yoga is a money making industry that's that's the bottom line and um there's so many different forms of yoga that have just been created over the years some of them are like officially recognized and some of them aren't you know anyone could decide I'm going to take this yoga practice and put a little spin to it add this take away that and I'm going to call it you know xyz yoga and start teaching it and there's really nothing that's stopping them from doing that um you know so we we definitely have steered uh a, a little left here in the United States from what yoga is really supposed to represent and um you know it's become a it, it, it's just gotten lost, <laughs> and then that doesn't that doesn't speak to every yoga instructor and every single yoga practice, but um, there there definitely is a trend that's being followed right now, and the real true meaning and purpose of yoga is getting lost in that in that trend. Well, it's kind of like what they did with Reiki, because when Reiki came out, hardly anybody heard of it, knew of it, whatever, and. Mm-hmm. Then people started adding stuff to it. Mm. And then they started making representations like, oh, yeah, this is Reiki, and this is part of Reiki. And it's like, no. But, um, and, and way back when I used to tell people, 
investigate who you're going to and make sure that they're legit, make sure they're authentic, and that they're not like doing this crazy new age, throw it all together, making a nice, shiny, enticing package and get a nice certificate. Do you want to practice Reiki? Do you want to do really authentic Reiki? Or do you just want a shiny certificate? I, I don't know. But uh, like with anything, you have to check into it. Now, I noticed you have, you do vision boards with teens and vision boards I with do. teens and adults. Yeah, so What's that um, like? it's fun. <laughs> um, you know, I I make a joke that middle schoolers, specifically middle school girls, are probably um, some of the most evil people on the planet. <laughs> I don't know what happens at 13, 14, 12 years old, but something goes, and they are just, you know, they're mean girls, they bully each other. Um, it, it's really um, what I've observed over the years since I've been working with them. Um, it's really interesting, but getting them in a space where they can be present and in the moment and acknowledge their peers as individuals with feelings just like them and to see that they have aspirations and they have goals just like them is is a great experience and it's very rewarding. So the vision boarding kind of helps to bring that out of them because they're challenged with tapping, you know, inside and saying, you know, what do I want for myself? And when they're doing it together, they're looking at their peers, they're seeing what they're doing, they're finding that they have similar interests um, and things that they want to do and things that they enjoy doing. And it really promotes um, a sense of unity amongst them and and takes them away from that bullying bad girl mentality that seems to um, run rampant <laughs> at that um, at that age. So um, it's it's very rewarding, it, but it's challenging, huh? You could probably blame hormones on that, but you know, really, there's got to be a way to circumvent the hormones or work with the hormones so that they don't get into that mean girl, that very competitive kind of evil, envious, jealous, slap a girl yeah. Right. So I'm currently trying to figure out what that formula is because I said if I can figure it out, I'm going to change the world. <laughs> because, oh, yeah, if you, you can know, figure that... that out, you're golden, girl. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I need to figure out what it is because, it, you know, it breaks my heart to see. And I have a 13-year-old daughter, so she is, like, dead smack in the midst of this. And as a parent of a teenage girl who is experiencing it, you know, it breaks my heart to, to see how it affects her. Um, but at the same time, you know, doing the work that I do, I I know I know that it works. And I know that there are, there are certain um, – be, uh, and not behaviors, but um, certain things that you can teach them that might not completely make it go away, but that can simmer them down a little bit. I think it, it really has to do with sort of just acknowledging your peers as a person just like you. I, you know, everyone is sort of like in this um, me, 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 it's my world, it's about me, my feelings, my this, my that. When you have them sort of step back for a moment and really acknowledge their peers as someone that's just like them, who feels like them, who thinks like them, you know, um, who has 
challenges at home just like them. Like you never know what someone else's story is or what they're going through or the reason for why they choose to do or say the things that they do. Um, when you start to open up those doors and really acknowledge another person as a human being just like you, it, it can definitely shift how you treat them. And so right now that that's really my focus when I'm working with them, helping them to really see each other as um, as other beautiful young girls that they are. I work primarily with girls only. And, um, you know, I make progress, but there's a lot of work to be done out here in these schools with these kids. You know, they're so heavily influenced by um, social media, the media. But I can't even say TV anymore because they don't even watch TV. They watch YouTube. Yeah. And they're constantly being fed, you know, that tells them this is what you're supposed to do, this is how you're supposed to act. And they're trying to mimic that. And then when they see, if they see people around them that don't match what they're being told they're supposed to do, then you're wrong and you're not cool and you're bad and you're this and you're that. So um, there's a lot of, like, dismantling of um, some of the programming that happens with social media and um what they're being fed from society, as well as just, like I said, that acknowledgement of, um, you know, this, this young girl is just like you, she did like you, she cries like you, you know, she... You're breaking up again. Hello? Did I lose nope. you? Oh, okay. I'm here. I'm here, oh, I'm sorry. You all of a sudden. Um, I'm sorry. But I was just saying the vision boarding helps them to get a, a, a picture into someone else's world and, and, and say to themselves, like, wow, she's just like me, or she's similar to me, we have similar interests, and it, it really helps to break down some of those walls that they have um, with each other. Right. You know, I noticed a while back, and I posted something on Facebook, but I can't remember exactly now, but... I was noticing something that girls who were calling each other a girl's girl, a girl's girl, I noticed they were very, very, very competitive, really not nice. There was no compassion. There was no empathy. Most of all, and most importantly, there was no sense of loyalty. How can you call yourself a girl's girl if you're not loyal to your girlfriends? Like, you know, some of these girls I know, like, they'd stab a friend in the back just to, you know, be friends with somebody else or get praise or look like the the top one or whatever you want to call it. And it's like, girls really need to, well, boys too, but... Girls really need to understand that it's okay to be compassionate. It's okay to be kind. It's okay to be empathetic. So I think maybe mm-hmm. boys, they they do sports. They're all the jocks, and, and they get their ego off kind of by, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the big guy in baseball, football, whatever. But with girls, it's like, you're either the leader of the bitch squad or you're nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Which is not good, but um, so the workshops that you have with the teens and the adults, are these their parents? 
Yeah, it's usually their parents because what I've learned is um, it is learned behavior. So they're learning it at home. So if we can... Cut out, honey. Hello? Where'd you go? All right. Danica, where did you go, my dear? Oh, if you can hear me, you dropped out. Hang on. Here the call completely the call completely dropped and then I called right back. It just back dropped. In. I know it, it just told me in the studio a message came up. Call dropped. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. now you're back. I live like way out east on Long Island, like in the woods, so my service here isn't so good. <laughs> um oh, yeah. where I where I'm at in the house. But what I was saying was um, a lot of the behavior or some of it is learned behavior. They're learning it at home. You know, they don't necessarily have the best positive role models at home. So bringing the parents in sort of helps to um, not just teach the children, but teach the parents some new skills, teach the parents some mindfulness, teach the parents the same thing that I'm trying to teach the kids, you know, just like you have feelings and you have your story and what you're going through, so do your children. You know, and everything that you do is influencing to them. They're watching you. Um, and, and a lot of times the, the lack of positive role model at home stems from the parents just not being happy. So doing vision boarding, not just as a, as a child but as an adult, can be therapeutic in itself. You know, it, it can open up some doors and, and, and help a person to realize, like, wow, you know, am I really living life? And, and am I really fulfilled? Am I attaining my goals and my dreams and aspirations? And when they begin to question that, it, it definitely, a light bulb goes off, and, and they start to become more interested in changing and growing and healing. So um, I, I do the vision boarding, but I also have lots of different workshops um, that I do revolving communication, having boundaries, nonviolent communication, sex education, um, so, ma- so many different topics, mindfulness, of course, meditation, yoga. There's um, a lot of different topics and workshops that I do for teens or for teens to do together with their parents. Um, a lot, like I stated, a lot of times what's happening at home is we have a lot of parents that are wounded and they're not healing and they're in a lot of pain and they're passing some of those false belief systems and some of that pain onto their children through their parenting. So if I have um, a child that is working with me and I kind of can pick up that maybe some of what they are experiencing is coming from home, if I can get the parent in the room as well, that's going to that's gonna not just change the child but also help the parent to grow as, as well. And that's, that's essentially the goal because if I can shift the parent, that's definitely going to shift the child as well. Definitely. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. I mean, really, in a perfect world, when we're born, we are here to progress and, and help in the progression of consciousness and awareness and life for all beings on the planet. But then you have people who, my father was a lawyer, doctor, whatever, and my grandfather and my great-great-grandfather, and all that person's doing is cookie cutters of what prior generations have done. That person is not living their truth, not living their authenticity, not aligned with their reason for being here, 
And, you know, a lot of times if you're not aligned with your reason for being here, you're really not helping anybody, including right. yourself. Because right. if you break out of that mold and and get into and, and align yourself with why you're here and what you're doing here, you are then doing service to others who can come to you for consultation, for help, to be taught, mm-hmm. to learn. It's like... Tradition is good, but if you want to hold on to all the old traditions in your family, you're not going to go anywhere. You have to be Correct. able to kind of balance. These are the traditions from my culture, and to it I've added all of this, and it's it's a combo. I think when they said America was a melting pot, I think that's what they meant. You take a little bit from each culture, and you join mm-hmm. it together, and you have a beautiful mosaic. And that mosaic is very powerful because it's not just the one string, so to speak. Right. Like I always say, I prefer a mutt for a dog or a cat because I had a pedigree dog. I had a Yorkshire Terrier. She was a pedigree. She was always sick, so much for a pure bloodline. And I'm a big fan of multiracial couples and the children they create because Mm -hmm. multiracial children are the most Beautiful beings I've ever seen. I agree. There's a uh, <laughs> group that um, is devoted to that. The pictures on that group and, you know, that page or whatever it is, blow your mind. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I'm, a, and I'm a product. You know, I am Native American, I am African American, and I am Caucasian. Um, all, all three, all That's together. That's so gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, so... But what you said is so, so true, and it, and, it, and it ties into what I was speaking about before as far as living your truth and your purpose, and, and that's sort of what brought me to this work because my story is a story for a lot of people, and if I can help other people, parents, children, whomever, to sort of say, question, like, what works for me? Am I living for me? Or am I just repeating a pattern because my mother did it or my grandmother did it or whomever did it? Um, working with the parents is really about breaking cycles. And um, this is something else that also is very close to me. So, I, you know, I, for probably the first five years of my daughter's life, I was my mother because I didn't know how to be any other mother except for the mother that I had. <laughs> And after a while, I had to question, you know, did all of, were all of the things that my mother did or didn't do, were all of those things the best for me? Um, And the answer was no to a lot of them. And so I had to make a conscious choice to say, okay, I'm going to break this cycle because her mother probably did it and her mother probably did it. I'm going to be the person to say I'm going to do something different because I'd like to get a different outcome. You know, I'd like to produce a a woman in this family that's going to not have to suffer through all of the pain or hurt or have a a similar story to tell as it relates to their relationships or what their career life looked like or, or didn't look like. Like I want to do something different. And, um, a big part of me working with parents is to get them to do the same. Like, yes, there are some parts of my mother that I value deeply and I will, you know, pass on to my daughter because I value it. But there are some things that, that I'm like, 
I, I can't do that to my kid because it wasn't, it, it didn't help me. <laughs> you know, it hurt me in the long run. So I have to make a conscious choice to do something different. And I challenge the parents that I work with to do the same, to look at their life and to look at how they were raised and to look at the similarities and say, you know, how much of what you learned from your parents do you want to pass on to your children? How did those things affect you? What, you know, you're the final outcome of that. So depending on what your life looks like, do you want your child to go down the same path? Or do you want to take the opportunity to say, I'm going to do something different and break this cycle and be the last woman or the last man in my family generation to live life this way? I'm going to start something new, and it's going to start with my child. That's what I've done. And it's been challenging because I didn't have a blueprint for what that looks like. And I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I know it's going to be something different. You know, and I know I've given, I've sort of set the foundation for her to, when she has children one day, to also be okay and be brave enough to say, I don't necessarily have to do everything that my mother did. These are the things that I want to bring into my parenting or into my life. And these are the things that I'm like, hmm. They probably didn't serve me too good. I can I can leave them aside, <laughs> you know. Um, and and as we continue to evolve as people, the next generation and the next generation will grow more and and be more prosperous and and we won't be repeating the same patterns over and over. Because you know I see that so much in families, and and even in certain communities. It's not just within families. When you live in a community and everyone around you is operating the same way, you believe that that's normal and that's what you're supposed to do. And it, it only takes one brave person to say I'm going to do something different and when that one person does that you know that can shift a whole community a whole family so I've been that person in my family and I try to encourage other parents to be that person in their family as well most definitely and you know the only thing that is preventing anybody from doing that is fear fear of the unknown fear of the new but you never know until you try it yeah. And if you try it and it works, then take that ball and run with it. You change the right. life of many people. Mhm. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely Mhm. No, yeah. but it is fear. It fear that fear is definitely at the root of that because you don't know you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And, and you know, I just said that with my daughter. Like, I don't have a blueprint for what the parent that I want to be look, looks like because I didn't have that parent. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm winging it as I go along. And it's definitely scary because I don't know if everything that I'm doing is right. And then, and then it's also a, a, the process of unlearning, you know, and unlearning the things that I learned from my parents and sometimes falling back into that place because it's a comfortable place and it's a place that I know. Whereas, you know, the, the, the new place, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm, creating it. <laughs> so it's very easy to kind of fall back into those behaviors and ways of thinking that, that are comfortable to you. And it's a constant challenge. But for me, I'm just like, I'm never going to stop. You know, I might fall. I might feel like I failed. I might feel scared sometimes. But all I can do is move forward with um, the hope and the dream that I'm teaching my daughter something that is going to stay in my, you know, family for generations to come and that will continue to evolve and grow and blossom into something different with each generation. And I just want for other people to have that same mindset and and want the same, you know, for their families and for their children, because that's the only way that we're going to see a change just in this world, period. If people
people start being brave enough to say, I'm going to do something different. Like I can see that this is what the people are, are around me are doing, but you know what? It's not all right, you know, and I'm going to do something different. I see that it's not right. I'm going to acknowledge that, and I'm going to do something different as opposed to just sticking with what's comfortable, um, which is unfortunately what, what most people do. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, really, to get someone to step outside of their comfort zone, it's like you need ropes, you need, uh, you know, change, and you drag them out because they'll stay in there. It's comfy. They know it. It's familiar. But having said all of that, doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for them to stay there. It's like my mom was very neurotic, very nervous, very neurotic type of person, and I swear because of that, that, Thanks to her personality and the way her mind worked, she brought on so much physical illness to herself. Had she just let go and, and lived in the moment and not been so uptight, really, uh, I don't think she would have had a lot of the illnesses and the physical manifestation of illnesses that she had. And then there was my aunt, who was not her sister, but was my dad's sister, who was so blasé, so laid back, and she'd watch my mother, like, get all uptight and crazy about certain things because they weren't perfect, my aunt would say, yeah, but it's better than before. Stop worrying about it. And, (laughs) you know, she was very wise in her own way that, that she, that was her method of living, you know. It's better than before. I'm happy. Whereas my mother, if it wasn't perfect, she was miserable. Mm-hmm. And she made herself. But, um, you know, there's another thing that I was very, very into because I had found out about it a couple of years ago. I had suspicions um, because they were confirmed. I had gone through PTSD four times in my life because I really, mm-hmm. I really hit the skids and bounced back, and I don't know how I've done it. But all I know is I come from a long line of very, strong women and my grandmother's catchphrase is always you just got to push through it sometimes pushing through it's not the best but um i had a spiritual healing done by a lady who's absolutely marvelous her name is joanne brokas and she's in north carolina she is a spiritual healer she's on facebook and what she did was she went back in the generations and did a clearing of all the generations in my family where we had issues and things, and they go from that they are passed down energetically through the DNA, generation to generation to generation. Well, once I had that done, I'm telling you, I felt like after she did it, I felt like I had dropped about 15 pounds. Physically, I actually felt lighter. I was like, oh. So happy we got rid of that. Now I can go on and make other adjustments and, and um, you know, open up to more progress, more healing. And uh, that's something a lot of people don't know about, the epigenetics. But um, if anybody out there is looking for a spiritual healing where she will give you a spiritual um, DNA, whatever you want to call it, Edema, contact Joanne Brokas. She's on Facebook. And I'm not sure if her website is joannebrokas.com, but she's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, it is joannebrokas.com. Okay. And then we have Nika, who is 
let's see, www.dernika.com. You can find her there and find out all of the things she's got going on. Dernika, are you still working with Tantra or, you know, do me a favor. Please explain what Tantra is so people know what it really is. That's another misconception. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, our westernized culture automatically just pins Tantra to it's all about sex and, um, you know, they think about Kama Sutra and all that stuff, and it's really completely unrelated. It's it's just a philosophy that recognizes sexual energy to be the most powerful energy that exists. So, you know, we have to think sexual energy is the root of the creation of life. It doesn't get any higher than that. There's nothing else greater than life that you can create. So if you can create, if this energy is powerful enough to create life, what else can it do? So it can heal. It can manifest. It can, um, you know, it can create, um, obviously. So it's it's recognizing sexual energy for for the the amazing uh, powerful energy that it is and using it for those purposes. So I use it. Um, for healing, to, to help people to heal by way of massage. So I used, I used to coach people and, and pretty much teach them how to use um, the energy on their own, but now I just do the massages. And along with the massages comes, you know, different meditation and breath work and visualizations, which are the non-sexual aspects of Tantra. And the massage is also a non-sexual aspect of Tantra as well, but it does involve touching of um, the genitals and, and massage of the genitals and transfer of energy. It's um, I sort of kind of, for me personally, I, I can't speak for every tantric practitioner, but I have intertwined Reiki along with uh, my tantric work to help to facilitate the, the energetic healing aspect. But what I'm pretty much doing is generating sexual energy within the person and then moving that energy to different parts of the body that I believe need some level of healing. So um, most people that come to me are women who have suffered from some form of sexual trauma. And so Tantra is extremely helpful with people in that, in that situation. That was how I began to learn Tantra. It started off as a personal quest of healing because I've suffered from sexual trauma and assault as a child and, and as an adult. So my initial reason for seeking out Tantra was to help me with that. And in me learning, I just realized that this was something that I wanted to share, you know, with other people because there's a lot of women out here, women and men, that have suffered sexual trauma and they've gone to therapy and they've, you know, done lots of work, but they still find themselves struggling with their sexual identity, struggling to enjoy sex and feel pleasure. And that's because when we treat a person who's had um, sexual trauma, we're usually looking at it from like an emotional, a mental emotional perspective. No one is addressing the energetic and, and internal physical effects that sexual trauma has. So you have a lot of people who may have moved past it mentally, but they can't orgasm or they have pain during sex or they feel numbness or, you know, for some men they have um, like ED or, or premature ejaculation. It's just these issues that no one really has the answers to. And so for, for me, when I discovered Tantra and I, and I realized that that was the answer for the other people, 
which was, like I said, the physical and energetic effects, I was like, oh, I, I got to tell everybody about this. <laughs> so that was when uh. I went ahead and certified um, to, to teach and, and coach people because um, my personal experience with it was so powerful that I, I just, I couldn't not. I, I had to share it with people. <laughs> so I do conscious massages. Um, and like I said, it's really... The, I, during the massage, I'm cultivating the sexual energy, and then I'm dispersing it to different parts of the, the body, um, the different energetic um, centers of the body, the chakras. Wherever there's a need for healing, it's really just moving that energy to those places. Very similar to, you know, to Reiki. And so the two kind of, I, I use the two hand in hand and, and, and work together to provide a, a form of healing, um, energetic healing for the person. That's really what it is. Their, their practice can get much deeper, um, obviously beyond the size for people in their personal lives and there's things that you can do with your partner, there's things you can do on your own that are sexual and non-sexual that have great healing abilities. I mean, I'm even able, it, it's so broad that I'm able to take some of the practices and use it with kids. There's certain movements that you can do, certain dances, you know, meditation, certain chants, visualizations that have nothing to do with sex that are part of the tantric practice that I can do with someone that's any age. And they won't even know that it has anything to do with tantra. You know, I have um, my, my teacher, one of the stories um, that I love, she, she worked with a girl who, had, who was, a, she was a stripper and she had been raped several times by men. And she was so traumatized that she, you know, the, the sexual aspects of tantra or even just touching herself it was so traumatic to her that she couldn't dare so we just work with her through movement and through dance and doing different movements that are part of the you know concert philosophy and she made tremendous strides just through the movement aspect and that movement you know that's something I can teach anyone they don't need to know that it's rooted in tantric practice or philosophy we're just moving you know, we're dancing and we're moving energy around and we're, you know, but the, the way that we're moving our body and, the, and the, the things that we're visualizing when we're doing that, the type of music that's playing, you know, that, that's what provides the healing and gets the energy um, circulating in, in a way that someone could actually um, benefit from it. So it's, it's very broad. It's not just about sex, and that's what most people think. But um, for me, I I do massages for people. That's how I use it. Well, it's like I know whenever you mention the word tantra, people get this look in their eye, this lascivious like <laughs> kind of look, and it's right. like no clue what real tantra really is. It's right. the same thing with kundalini. Right. It's like mention the word kundalini, and people immediately think, oh, sex. Yep. Can't. Yep. That's well, Danica, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. It was a pleasure yeah. having you. Thank and, you for uh, inviting me. And guess people, if I you want to find out what she's all about, www. All social media stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Stevie. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, have a great